Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, nihao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories 2023. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. For today's podcast, we're going to visit with a Virginia company, and we're going to get rather technical with you. That's because our guest, Kevin Spears, CEO and co-founder of Splice, has a technology company that has created a data sharing and translation system that automates processes. Mouthful? Yes. Understandable? Of course, because Kevin is here to introduce his company and explain the services they offer the export-import industry. But first, a word from our sponsor. We are all about storytelling here, and there is another story I want to tell you about. It's the story about how one company can help you solve your commercial real estate needs, whether in town, across the nation, or over the oceans. That company is Levy Commercial Realty, LLC. They provide strategic commercial real estate advisory and brokerage services. I'm talking about retail. I'm talking about restaurant, entertainment, and distribution. Levy's clients include local legends, regional brands, and Fortune 50 companies known around the world. You're going to want to join Levy's select group of clients. Their email is contact at levycommercial.com. That's Levy, L-E-B-Y, commercial.com. And I'll post it on our website. Now back to the show. So our guest, Kevin Spears, has almost 20 years of shipping and logistics experience in marketing and strategy. He led communications and marketing departments at global container shipping companies, Maersk and CMA CGM. He also guided marketing, public relations, and IT at T. Parker Host, a ship agency and marine terminal operator. So I'm going to, that's, that's a great background. I'm going to let Kevin, give us more detail, though, about that background. So without further ado, Kevin joins us from Norfolk, Virginia. Hello, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. It is really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're going to give a lot of information to people today. So, um, you know, I just gave a tip of the iceberg introduction, but I would love for you to share more of your story. You know, can you take us back to where you're from, your education, and how you ended up in this industry? That would be great. I'd love to do that. Well, to go back, way back, I grew up in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, about as far away from the ocean as humanly possible in North America. <laughs> so it's a wonder that I ended up in shipping and logistics and living here in Norfolk. Mm -hmm. But I was very interested in international business and 
international relations as a young man. And after high school, I lived as an exchange student in Germany as with the Rotary Exchange Program. Oh. And that really launched my interest further into all things international. And that's what got me into, eventually got me into shipping. I went to Miami, Ohio and studied economics and international studies. Sure. And after that, I landed at Procter & Gamble uh, working in finance. Mm -hmm. And that was actually my first exposure to supply chain systems and supply chain processes working on extraordinary products like diapers, pampers, and loves, working on bounty and fabric softeners like, like bounce fabric sheets. Yeah. And one of the places I worked was in Green Bay, Wisconsin at their paper making facility there with about 1700 workers yeah. and a lot of equipment, a lot of, lot of inputs and outputs moving through the system that I got to experience as the industrial engineer. So essentially translating operating metrics to financial results. Gotcha. And I stayed with P&G for several years and moved on to graduate school at Georgetown in the School of Foreign Service, where I did a bridge program between the School of Foreign Service, so call that the School of International Affairs, with the MBA program. After Georgetown, I started working at a small consulting firm that worked on strategy and market analysis, primarily for companies with business in federal markets. So that was a lot of aerospace and defense. My first sets of clients were actually hedge funds. So very eclectic and uh, hard pressing group of customers to have. So working on merger arbitrage. Eventually I got the idea and pitched it to the partners that I thought we should start a practice around supply chain and logistics. And that was shortly after 9-11 where operations in the Middle East really started to take off. And that became a timely decision to probe into that market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of my first clients was Maersk. Uh, they have a largest, well, they have the largest U.S. flag component uh, on the seas. And I started mm -hmm. working for that, that business, which has its headquarters here in, in Norfolk, right. which eventually led me led me to Norfolk, which is quite a metropolis for all things shipping and logistics, sure. and was able to stay in the industry that way uh, and find different avenues and different interests in that in that space, including some of the companies that that you mentioned. But along the way, I always was interested on the technology side. Mm -hmm. One of the first projects I did as a consultant was for a very large defense contractor that also makes airplanes. And they had taken to get, they had combined all these different technologies, communication technologies, put it in a little small box. Well, it's not that small, but it was, at the time it felt small. And they thought they could attach it to shipping containers to track them around around the world. And that was 20 years ago. And we know that technology, well, we know that technology is still trying to make its way into the market. Wait, well, let, let's uh, just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm interested in this because I love the evolution. I I came from the steamship business a long time ago too. So I love it. So, so it's a small box. Is it 
is it on the outside or the inside of the container and how is the is it communicating via what how it was communicating so yes it was on the outside just like the devices that are out there now and quite becoming more prolific in the market but right. it was a small box with gps and satellite technology right. cell technology and other okay. wireless technologies okay. but the form factor at the time was maybe you know, two feet by two feet. So it was a large device that had wow. to go on the box to be able to track it. Unlike the devices that are quite elegant today that might just be an inch inch wide and a couple inches long to be able to do the same, but with a battery that lasts years rather right. than months. So they had a very, it was a very novel concept, but sure. it wasn't, as you might imagine, the market wasn't ready for it. But it was a very interesting project to delve into. Are you saying the market wasn't ready for it because there the systems weren't in place to communicate through the supply chain? The information. I think it was, think it was that. I think the value proposition wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. The market was very concerned about, as it remains today, about cost and how they were going to maintain, acquire and eventually rotate those devices through a process where boxes just kind of went everywhere and were relatively difficult to to track so but now now there are you know in numerous companies out there with this sort of technology and we hear from companies like Hapeg Lloyd saying that they're going to put a tracking device on every box eventually uh so wait Today, what what's out there today? Is there a box? Is there something on every container or not yet? Not yet. Okay. There are, the steamship lines are talking about adding tracking devices to all of their, all of their containers. But here we are, I guess my example is 20 years prior there, some of the technology existed, maybe not in a, the usable form that it is today to be able to track containers worldwide. Gosh, I mean, why can't they just put an Apple tile or whatever that that tile is? On it? <laughs> I guess that's not sophisticated enough for, that's for your well, phone. There are, there are a lot of different ways that really innovative technology companies are figuring out how to not only track a container, but get down to the pallet and box level so that you do have that visibility. And we know that's coming. I guess my example is just simply that there was a lot of technology that's developed uh, slowly over time and eventually does make it make its way to the market. And I guess one of my projects as a consultant 20 years ago demonstrated the, the viability of, of, the, of the idea or the, not, not, uh, the novelness of the idea, but it was still something that took time to, to come forward. So, um, well, your background is, you know, like excellent for what you're doing, obviously. Um, so, all right, well, let's talk about splice. First of all, what's the meaning of the, behind the name? Well, splicing data. We splice data like you might splice a rope. And it's oh. a great, I think it's a, a good analogy. When, when you have two pieces of rope, that you need to connect together, you splice them. So yeah. you end up 
using a tool to weave more uh, more threads of the rope uh, through them. And eventually you might even put a loop on it. So you're not only making the connection stronger, but you're adding some additional utility to it. And that is that is what Splice is doing. We're connecting two things that are disconnected. We're putting a thread of information through that eventually can create a stronger connection and add, add additional benefits to the technology. So we, we thought splicing was very fitting for an integration platform that at its core translates data, integrates systems, and allows information to move seamlessly across them as if they were one system to start with. Okay, I have a couple of questions. First of all, um, when did you form the company and you have how many, you know, partners or what? Yeah, so we formed the company in in May of 2021, so just over a year or two, <clears throat> two plus years ago. Okay. Initially, we were in kind of development phase, figuring out exactly what we wanted Splice to become, the types of markets and segments that we wanted to pursue, the type of customers that would find find value with with the product. And really it wasn't for about seven months until we started rolling forward with a couple different a couple different products. One of them being what we call our platform, which is a low code platform that allows individuals and companies to manage these connections and map data between different systems. And we also rolled out a product called YardSpot. YardSpot is an asset tracking and control platform designed for yard operations, although it really extends beyond just a container yard. We connect cameras, both mobile and fixed cameras, GPS systems, transportation management systems, and port data to allow users primarily in dispatch, yard operations, warehouse operations, trucking, mm -hmm. to identify where different assets are, be it chassis, containers, trucks, dry vans, and know where all those assets are to be able to orchestrate their movement to increase throughput, reduce costs such as detention and demurrage or storage costs, and really optimize an operation. Okay, so on the export side, are you, um, does that include containers? It does, of course. So okay. container container shipping is really kind of the central capability or focus area for Splice. Okay. And over the last year, we've developed a product called Splice Exports, which is how you and I started talking because it's so apropos to your to your podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's, Splice Export solves a really specific problem for container shippers, forwarders, and trucking companies. And that's the export receiving window. So the export receiving window is that time frame in which a shipper, forwarder, trucker can bring their container to the place of receipt, primarily a, a marine terminal or a rail terminal. And those dates that are on the front end is your earliest receiving date, and the back end is your last receiving date, or often called your port cut. 
But those dates move quite a bit. And when they shift, they create a lot of challenges upstream in the supply chain or in the logistics process. The timing of pulling your empty, how you're going to manage your, your truck power, or even for a shipper, the inventory, what inventory you're pulling, the production run that you may have, uh, those all get affected by the timing of that, of that shipment and the timing of those dates of when you can get that container to the terminal. That data comes from a, a lot of different places. The ERD, so the front end of the receiving window is, prim is primarily the, provided by the marine terminal, but the cut is, is decided by the ocean carrier. So you have two different places to look for that information. Okay. And if you're, if you're a large shipper, you not only are looking for a specific shipment, but at a, one terminal, you might have multiple terminals around the country. You might have multiple carriers. So you're really scrambling every day to figure out what the new, new dates are. So we've used Splice and this ability to translate and connect and weave data together to track these at over 55 terminals with connections to all the major ocean carriers so that in one place, our customers can keep track of that export receiving window. So, well, so you obviously filled a niche. Uh, what was there before y'all came along? How was it working before you had this service for a ship, say for a shipper? Yeah, well, most of the time it means that shippers are looking up on terminal websites and carrier websites for the latest update, checking their email, entering in booking numbers and waiting for an email to come back. So using a web form, waiting only for an email. None of these are integrated into their transportation management system or into the system of record where their teammates get their work done. And that's another capability that Splice has. We bring this data back into where it is needed in order to get the work, to get the work done. You know, like big shippers, small shippers, they have their own internal systems of, of tracking the supply chain. Do you integrate easily with a company's own, you know, supply chain system? We do. In fact, we have over 120 different connections already built into Splice. So if it's an API, EDI, FTP, XML. I'm I'm getting really into the alphabet soup of yeah, and logistics I'm technology. And I'm pretending like I know all of those. But anyway, <laughs> um, You're okay. lucky that you don't have to. And many people don't want to. Mm. And I don't blame them. No. We normalize the data so that when they look at one system and they think of another system, right, and they feel like they should be talking, even though they know they don't, splice right. can sit between them so that they okay. actually really do. Well, that's very cool. And carriers and ports eager to share their data with your company? Really, I think carriers and terminals are increasingly trying to figure out how to share more data. That's true. They're looking at different technologies and they're investing primarily into APIs, so application programming interfaces. And these are really, think of them as the 
the data streams that make your phone work so well. Sometimes if you tried to book an airline ticket and you go to the website and it's clunky and you then you go to your phone and it's actually a better experience, well, those are APIs at work, making the experience more streamlined. And that's what carriers are investing in. We're seeing more terminals invest, invest in APIs as well. And we're an API first company, although we have all the other tools behind it to normalize the data and get it to move between these various, various systems. But I think the answer is yes, increasingly more data is being shared, but not every system is compatible with some of the new technology. So what we see are gaps in the process, gaps between the systems you're using today, particularly say you're a shipper or Ford or you've invested in that. You've invested not only time and money, but your people know how to use it. They really know how to use it well. And you don't necessarily want to swap that out for the latest shiny gizmo because it's embedded into your processes. So we look at this bridge between the systems that are in place and the new technology that is out there that you want to have access to because it provides you a cost benefit or a customer experience benefit. So we see our ability to bridge between those as a real value in the marketplace. Uh, Do you think in the future there'll be some kind of standardization of systems so that everybody talks to each other more easily? I I do. I do think we're looking at standards that will help facilitate that. Mm -hmm. There are some great initiatives underway that will eventually lead to that. Is that from the FMC? Where is that coming from, this you know, they're both, it's a, a bit of private and a bit of public initiative. Okay. On the private side, you have the the Digital Container Shipping Association, DCSA. Okay. They're making strides towards things like standardized uh, e- e-bills of lading or standardized track and trace data. The FMC is is pushing through some ideas on standardization and maybe data sets that should be required. I think there's a lot of work to be done there, even with the White House's initiative flow. But I think these are all initiatives that are pushing us in the right direction, maybe not at lightning speed, but I support the concept. But if you think about logistics, it's a horizontal business. We have verticals such as you know consumer packaged goods, or electronics or retail. And all of these verticals have their own specific needs. They have their own data that they're looking for. And across it is supply chain and logistics, which has to appease each of those verticals because that's where the shippers are. That's where the money is derived. So while there are standards growing, the fragmentation of the business it's likely to persist. And you'll see forwarders and ship and uh, forwarders and trucking companies that will tailor their services to those to those verticals as they should. They will have the stand certain standards connecting them together, but there will always be certain amount of distinction between all of the verticals. You and mean, I think we'll, you mean um, that like there may be a trucking company that 
specializes in some kind of industry like uh, refrigerated products or exactly. something? Exactly. Refrigerated electronics, high high velocity goods. Look at the the growth of transloading to be able to support e-commerce. So you will have these sorts of distinctions. So while we have standards to make the data flow easier, yeah. there will still be different types of systems that perpetuate the fragmentation that exists in logistics. Well, Maybe okay. not to the extreme that exists yeah. today, but it will it will persist in my opinion. Um, I'm sitting here thinking I've been in the business a long time. And in some ways I'm surprised that some of these issues still exist, but I guess that's because maybe a lot of parties came to, you know, approaching the business in different ways or something. And it it just, I'm, I'm just surprised there aren't more, there isn't more connectivity and, and seamlessness um, than what you described. It's, it's kind of surprising, but, you know, I thought by the time I got to this age, there'd be a, uh, uh, you know, cancer would have been gone. So, <laughs> you know, you just never know what how long it takes to for things to change and get better, you know. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And take my example at the beginning of our conversation about container tracking devices, that technology to some degree was available 20 years ago, but the implementation has taken years and it will still take even more years That's... for it to come come to full fruition, despite yeah. the genuine desire to create more visibility right. across container logistics. Right. Well, I, I just had to express my surprise, but I haven't been involved in the on the technical side like you have All right so what i'm gonna do is throw out a hypothetical real simple real simple and then i i'm gonna have you share some of your real world export stories all right so here's a hypothetical real simple shipper has a container on the way to a port in china and he or she can see through the i'm assuming this is true through the information provided that there's a congestion at the Chinese port. Is there something your system does to help them solve that, solve a problem about, you know, getting through the congestion on the other side? Well, let me, let me pick that apart a little bit, because that is a really tricky one that okay. customers struggle with all the time. Sure. The premise is that you have that visibility into what's taking place at, at the Chinese port. And that data is relatively accurate. I think that's largely true, but it may not be all automated. It could okay. be through email and contacts that you have there who are boots on the ground to understand what's taking place. Wow. I think that's still largely largely the case. Okay. Building, building networks that provide global visibility uh -huh. is still something that is being developed because it takes so many different systems and technology to tie that tie that together. Okay. So what Splice does is when those, what we support is the normalization of all of that data. In other words, we make it, we make all the information digestible in lots of different systems. 
So it might come in telling you about the port congestion, but how is that information received? Is it an EDI message? Does it come as some sort of document or form? Right. And that data needs to get back into somebody who can make a decision on it. Needs to get to the right person at the right time and in a way that is actually usable. And that's what Splice fundamentally does. Okay, cool. All right, so now I'm ready for your real world stories because uh, I just want people to understand really well, you know, how it works. And sometimes there's some, you know, there's always crazy and shipping, as we know, there's always something crazy that happens. So can you share some export stories with us? Yeah, I'm glad to share a couple stories about how Splice and Splice Exports has helped some of some of our customers. You know, a couple challenges that we have seen has been with with rolled cargo, and as as containers come into the port, they might they might get pushed onto another vessel for one reason or or another, oh, and that can yeah. that can get really challenging from for a shipper and a forwarder to be able. Yeah. To be able to track that, so Let's we've just, seen. Let me let me just explain to listeners who may not understand what that means. It's booked for one vessel, and it gets rolled onto another ship. It was supposed to go on on the you know whatever ship, and it gets rolled to the next ship in in that rotation, which changed all the paperwork and everything. Correct. Yes, exactly correct. Okay. Very okay. well explained. That's <laughs> like okay. a. Like someone who's lived through that before. Oh yeah, I used to sell steamships, so I get it. Right. Well, that become so rolled cargo has become a much bigger problem since the pandemic, particularly as rates have fallen. We've seen more blank sailings, where where vessels are skipping a port or canceling voyages. Right. So this is something where we've seen data in our system that flows to be able to track exactly what the export receiving window looks like, okay. where all of a sudden a, a shipment is booked for a certain vessel and then it pops and it's now on, on a different vessel to, to the surprise of our, to our customers. So yeah. they're able to, to catch that in this and, and sometimes even decide not to send certain containers to the terminal in advance of that because otherwise they're they get stuck at the terminal they oh, may yeah. be, incur additional additional uh, storage and demerge right fees and particularly when it's refrigerated cargo then oh you've moved product perishable or sensitive products out of their ideal storage state into right. something that is less ideal and more expensive to to maintain so, right. so we've seen this as an example of where our product has really helped exporters okay. more and more frequently in the last in the last several months. Wow. Um, yeah. In other words, the carrier, the actual carrier, the actual shipping line, or the NVOCC just forgot to tell the customer, and so somehow you're in in that case. But your information give that you give them the information they should have had on the front end from their you know their carrier or whatever. Yes, the the flow of information about when a steamship line, when an ocean carrier decides to blank a or skip a port, 
is yeah. specious. It's not. It's not transparent. Right. We'll say it. <laughs> well, uh. definitely not something they're sending out mass emails about to let everybody know. Hey, we're we're skipping your port. Yeah. But yeah. maybe they should be. Should yeah. be a little more transparent. Uh. You know, another another interesting story that I've seen that for exporters is being able to match up their shipments with with bookings and i've seen where shippers have made multiple bookings for one one shipment which is i'm sure a i know that's a practice that's done uh widely but our system will end up tracking each one of those bookings but they might choose to use one uh and not the not other bookings and they cancel cancel those bookings are you saying they booked the same shipment on several with several companies because in case one shuts them out, then they exactly is that more an import or more an export or both? More an export. Well, yeah, obviously more. Yes, yeah, definitely an export. Wow, um, uh, so they don't get in trouble. They don't get in trouble for that. <laughs> well, it depends on how they structured their their contracts and what the yeah. what the clauses are, but right. definitely some of that some of the data that we end up providing them helps them make that make that decision on how they want to manage their manage their right. shipments it's not it's not a great thing for the industry right because if shippers are putting in a lot of bookings that means carriers are looking at more downfall so it ends up creating some some information problems absolutely well good for y'all for being there for those kind of issues um well um okay i have a last question uh, unless you had another story you want to share well, you know one other one other chat I, I guess i'll just mention another challenge that yeah, i've seen a yeah, lot in, on yeah. the export side okay. is really in as exports are leaving the midwest and is being able to keep track of that rail receiving window so this is yeah. the period of time to get that container into the rail ramp and that date, that window is contingent upon the receipt of that container at the marine terminal. So if you don't know what's happening at the marine terminal, right. you can't figure out what's going to be the receiving date at the rail ramp. Because that's how the, the carriers who are managing right. that booking, the ocean carriers, will determine whether a rail bill can be can be let. So those that was a challenge that as we started working through receiving windows at the Marine terminal, we kept on hearing, well, can you track it at the rail ramp? Mm -hmm. And we weren't able to be, we haven't been able to do that until now because we needed to know what's happening at the Marine terminal and then calculate the schedule time to get that mm -hmm. container from the rail receiving ramp all the way to the Marine terminal. So we've started through that process and, are now building out the capability to keep track of rail ramp receiving. Wow, that's that's cool. That's cool. All right, so um, you know, this year I've been going around the country speaking to exporters in different states. So you're my first. I think you're my first Virginia uh, guest. So I'm going to ask you when international visitors come to Norfolk. What are some of the sites you recommend for them to see? 
Well, there are a couple things, and there are a lot of international visitors here, in part because NATO in North America is based in Norfolk, Virginia. So Good there's no actually quite an, a large and diverse international community here. Okay. Well, one of the first things I would say is you got to go out and try Virginia beer and oysters. <laughs> That's okay. That sounds good. Sounds yeah. Really good. Well, it is tasty. There's, I'm, I'm a big beer and oyster fan. So <laughs> maybe that's my personal bias, but okay. The breweries and the oyster road, as they call it, to go try the different varieties of oysters because they're all a bit different depending on where, where you get them from yeah. salty waters or less salty waters. Right. Big and small. Okay. So that's one of the, that's one of the first things I would say, but that's, as I said, that's my personal preference. Of course, you got to go to the oceanfront and yeah. see the Atlantic and big beaches in, in Virginia Beach that stretch down to the, the Outer Banks, which are absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Okay. So the, the, uh, the, the, the nature of the area is, is quite pretty and, and stunning. So those, those are definitely two things. And okay. the third is, you know, old Norfolk is is really pretty with a lot of interesting architecture, being one of the places of our first landing of of European settlers. There's a lot of history in oh. the in the area. Well, what's the what's the old oldest town? You know, like Jamestown or something. What was there that where the first European settlers? Well, of course, Jamestown is just across across the Hampton Roads. Um, okay. That the Hampton Roads Bay uh, Bridge Tunnel. So okay. that's just up, that's part of our greater Hampton Roads community. Okay. So that's that's there and that's um that's a really interesting place. And of course there's Williamsburg, which oh, replicates right. old colonial life. Yeah, that, no, that's all that's all great. The Outer Banks are they are they populated or is it, or is it more net, you know, nature and, you know, state parks and that kind of thing? It's a bit of both, but there's definitely a lot of big vacation homes and a lot of fun surf to play in. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Listen, this was a, a great discussion. I can't, I'm kind of proud of myself that I could participate in discussions about technology and, and understand what you guys are doing so that our listeners can understand. I think they will. I think they appreciate the fact that you're offering something uh, that's solving a lot of problems. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for being here, Kevin. This was great. Oh, it was my pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Great. Well, um, so to our listeners, we'd love to get a conversation going about this episode as well as, you know, general discussions about exporting. So please reach out to me on exportstoriespodcast.com where all of our current and past podcasts are available. And I'll be posting web information about Splice and you can ask questions or post comments on the episode page. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, this is creating a community of exporters and we'd love for your voice to be heard. So thanks again. To you, Kevin, and to all of our listeners. And we'll be back soon. 
Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 